Praise the Lord. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for using me to impart your word, this bread of life. Help us to comprehend every word of your truth, to nourish it, allow it to take root in our hearts and bear fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to be brief today. Talk a little bit about the Christian life. Like one of those rare, uh, like a, like a, what do you call it? Endangered species, it seems like sometimes, especially in our culture. Trust me, God is never going to be left without a witness. And the real church is getting stronger. There will be great falling away, apostasy and all these things. But the real Christians are are always going to be here until the Lord returns. And uh, when he takes us away, the world's in big trouble without us. Meanwhile, we're to be the light on the hill, city on the hill, the a lamp for the world to see by, even if they don't know it and many times don't want it. <laughs> We're here. You can lead a, water, a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And that's the, one of the hardest lessons. Uh, <laughs> you learn that maybe in a farming uh, situation with animals and things like that but when you become a pastor you really learn it and uh it's heartbreaking over and over and over again but then there's always somebody who really wants to know god and his promise is if you seek him you're going to find him if you not he's going to open there is, an, uh, there is a contingency about your whole heart being involved. And so sometimes that gets hard in a, in a world where the devil is vying for your affection, your time, attention. But the Christian life, many just perceive it to be about behavior modification. It never ceases to amaze me. Good deeds meet people all the time you're christian yeah well you know i try to live by the ten commandments that's what they think christianity is really which ones they can't tell you any of them <laughs> i hadn't killed anybody and then you know the truth is well really have you ever been so angry at somebody that you would like to kill them yeah well then jesus said you have murdered somebody yeah so you know <laughs> The reason for that, the law, is to show how perfect and pure and holy God really is and how, how amazing it is what Jesus has done for us to protect us from that holy scrutiny. The world focuses on Christians' behavior, though, but it's just not about self-help because um, it's quite impossible to do it by yourself. You can't do it in your own strength. That's why I have a 
kind of a love-hate relationship with all the programs of the world that are designed to help people. Because when that's all they have, it's pretty good. But it's never really enough to take them all the way. Those programs always point back to them. I've gone this far. It's day by day. I'm a this. I'm a that. No, you're not. If you if you know God, you're not any of those things you're calling yourself. And it's not day by day. It's a one-step program and it really works. It, but it's Him working through. You can't do it on your own. Unfortunately, people tend to come to God only after they exhaust all of their own resources, all of the world's resources. And if we were living as the city on the hill, as the, the lamp of the world, then it wouldn't be the case. If, if the church made up of people were living as we should worldwide, it wouldn't be the case. We wouldn't be sending people to psychiatrists and to bankers and to doctors to take care of all that within the church. All the social programs and things that are designed by the devil to make a God out of government and God out of other idols and things like that really should be taken care of within the church. And so we failed Romans is a wonderful book about the grace of God. Lays it out so perfectly. The sixth chapter around the 20th verse shows us that our good actions, if we're a lost person and not saved, like we talked about last week, John 3, 3, if a man isn't born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. So good actions by an unsaved or unredeemed person doesn't make them good. It doesn't make them righteous. Thankfully, bad actions by a righteous person who is redeemed doesn't make them evil. But redeemed or unredeemed, if you're unredeemed, you're, you're going to fail at this life anyway. Maybe not in the eyes of the world, but in the eyes of God. You'll never enter into His plan and definitely never complete it. Once you are redeemed, you don't have this evil concupiscence, this overwhelming evil desire from the sin nature to cause you to do evil things. But you certainly still have the ability. It's a choice now. Romans 7 explains that clearly it's quite impossible to live the Christian life in the flesh. Doesn't mean that we're going to be out of this vehicle, this body, but we can't live according to its desires, the world's desires, the world's ways, the world's wisdom, and expect godly results. Thank God that as born-again Christians, we, as it explains in Romans 8, are free through Christ. Free from the bondage of sin. That overwhelming evil desire. No more the devil made me do it. Now it's I chose to do it. <laughs> and that's 
not a condemning statement, it's a liberating one because we know we have a choice now. I always use the example, what if, if, it, you know, if, if God controls everything in this world and whatever happens, that was God, which is what a whole lot of the church teaches, which is totally wrong. And what about that poor crackhead? What kind of hope do you give the person down on Skid Row tonight? Oh, well, I'm going home now. Too bad God chose for you to be here. No. We're not married to Satan anymore. <clears throat> that corrupt old man inside of us is dead. And if you were here last week or if you heard the message, shout out to Tokyo, by the way. I was going to do that this week. I've got a lot of listeners there. God bless you. We're praying for you. But we are a spirit. God is a spirit. Those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. You can't even worship God after the flesh in your own carnal reasoning and ways. And although that's another huge issue within the church, within the world, people have invented a God of their imagination. That's who they worship. That's who they have a relationship. He understands me. He feels sorry for me. Because he knows everything I've been through. And we're okay. People have deceived themselves by that kind of thinking. And that kind of worship forever. And it doesn't produce the desired results. But if we backed up into the fourth chapter of Romans around the seventh and eighth verse. We would see that God loves us independent of our performance. And that's a blessing. But if we want to experience true life, the life, the victory that God has for us, then we have to learn to live a life according to or after the Spirit. Explained again in Romans 8. If we are thinking on carnal or natural things, then we're living life after the flesh. If spiritual truth, the Word of God, the promises of God are on our minds and our hearts and our lips, then we're living after the Spirit. It's that simple. If somebody wrongs us, and Jesus made it very clear, it's impossible to go through this life and not be offended. But he said, woe to those who cause the offense against these, my little ones, my children. But if somebody wrongs us and we meditate on that wrong, on that offense, it will produce death in our lives. This is a fact. Depression. Is a form of death. Anger is a form of death. Bitterness is a form of death. And it's going to produce after its own kind. Everything is in seed form. And Jesus said you have to understand this. Or you won't understand any of my teachings. But if we give it to God. 
And we don't let that negative take root. We pray for that person. We see it as a spiritual need that they have. And it doesn't identify us. Then we're trusting God with that hurt. And it will produce life and peace in our lives. That is life after the spirit. Christ living through us. Us trusting him with every aspect of our life. Based upon his promises. Because the provision is in the promises. We don't need to look at the old Ten Commandments. And the instructions in the Bible anymore as do's and don'ts. Do this or get this. Do good, get good. Do bad, get beat. No. We are beloved children of God. No one can snatch us from his hands. He longs to cover us in the shadow of his wings and nurture us and care for us and provide for us. And he's laid a system out that does that perfectly. And we need to learn to cooperate, to trust him. If we change our thinking, we can change our lives. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinketh, so is he. People, like I'm on the phone I must, a dozen times a week. Phone somebody, how you doing? Oh, I'm sick. If you say so. If you say so. Listen. I know that's oversimplification, but there's so much truth in it. And if you scratch past the surface, you'll find out that this country can't afford the people that already want to be sick. The church needs to learn to walk in power, in health, in prosperity, in every aspect of our life. God mad at us when we go to the doctor or take medicine? I hope not. I'd be dead. I'd be condemned. But I'm saying, as Christians, we're just we're just peeking through the window at the enormous provision that has been made for us and is accessible by faith in the promises of God. But our attitude will determine our altitude. Proverbs 16.6 says, By mercy and truth, iniquity are purged. By the fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. The world sees truth as as sort of a relative term. Good and evil as relative terms. And based on their situation or... Really, their agenda, many times the end, the, the means just, the end justifies the means. Well, I had to do that to get 
this good result, you know. I had to lie about that, otherwise, or I had to do this, or I had to... No, with God, the, the ends don't justify the means. The error of man is taking them down a, a slippery slope. And without the church, there's, there's no help. Too often, though, we go to church, or we, we don't go to the church... To find out anything. I'm glad to know that there are prayer meetings. Holy Ghost filled prayer meetings. Tongue talking prayer meetings in the Oval Office these days. That's wisdom. Back in the old days, they prayed about everything up there on the hill. Now, Satan has... Many more offices on the Capitol than the, the Lord does. God bless you. But the Lord is mighty. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Let me see. Romans 12, 1 and 2, Paul appealing to us, Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable or spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We need to become these living sacrifices and I always joke and say the problem with the living sacrifices is they keep crawling down off the altar. And we all do that. When we find ourselves running away from the altar, we need to stop and get back up there and trust God with our lives. I always tell people, they say, so many people are off trying to find themselves and it's all about them and the world is all about self-promotion and this and I I just I tell them it's so simple you know you got to find your true self at the end of you because <laughs> that's where you find God and humility is not something that's encouraged or taught in our culture it's get all you can before they get you and that can be more ungodly it's diametrically opposed to the will of God. We're not supposed to fight our own battles. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the devil. And his demons. And they're very active. The best thing for him is for us just to forget he exists. And just to put all of his works on a person or people or organizations or whoever we're going to blame. He loves that. But he is after the word. That's all he wants. John 10.10, 10, Jesus said, I, this, the thief, Satan, comes not but for to steal, kill, and destroy. 
I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And who is he? Who is Jesus? But the son of God, the word of God made flesh. Here he is. The bread of life, their daily bread. People live off the the bread of the world. We don't miss many meals in this life, in the carnal realm and the natural realm. But we get by on one cold snack a week. I wish they'd call me from the Capitol Hill. They could call me about anything. Anything. I'm not even close to the smartest guy up there. But it's simple when you just agree with God. Your life becomes so simple when you just agree with God. What's the word say? What's God say about that? There might be some discrepancies. Well, that's when iron sharpens iron. You get with other Christians and you find out the mind of Christ. You pray. You pray in tongues. You seek the will of God before you move any further if you don't have peace about something in your life. Because Jesus, on that fateful night, John 14, 27, didn't he say, my peace I give to you? Not as the world gives do I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Mark chapter 4. I just want to read this quickly and I I did say it would be brief. Mark chapter 4. Talking about our battles not against flesh and blood. I want to go back to farming here a little bit. Jesus began to teach by the sea. Really large crowd gathered around him. So that he got into a boat and he sat in it in the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching with many things and parables. And in his teaching he said to them, listen. Behold, a sower went out to sow. Talking about a farmer. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain. Growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, He who has ears to hear, let them hear. I think there were people in that audience that didn't have any physical ears. He's talking to the spirit man, isn't he? And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables, and he said to them, To you, has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. They don't belong to God. He hasn't chosen them. 
and they're not privy to the secrets of God. That's why you see people in the world that are so wise in their own eyes and they've decided after close scrutiny that this is all bonk and that sure God came down and was killed on a cross and all that and they mock it and make fun because they can't understand it and they never will because they're prideful and arrogant and God will never show himself to them. But for you... Here's what Jesus said. Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. See? He said, if you don't understand that everything is in seed form, you're not going to understand anything about the kingdom of God. The sower sows the word. He's talking about the word of God. The minister sows the word of God. Into the soil of your heart. Okay? And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately to take away the word that is sown in them. What is Satan coming after you for? The word. word. That's all he wants from you. Well, I thought he was once to kill me, to steal from me, and destroy me. He does. And if he gets the word, that'll all happen. The word is the only thing that's going to save you. Do you see how imperative it is for the Christian to understand that? And to believe it and to make it the basis of their life. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. These are the people that they're really excited about church for a minute. They get excited about the things of God for a time. They get so excited about the message every week. But when they leave and someone comes against them in this world that mocks or ridicules them trying to live the Christian life or mocks or ridicules them for believing the way they believe or that a woman should have her baby and if she doesn't want it, then give it away. But it's a baby in the womb. God made men and women with a gender assignment for this world. And if we don't like it, I'm sorry, but we misunderstood. We're, we're deceived if, uh, if we're deceived. It's not God that God will bless whatever you put your hands to. That the government is not supposed to be your God. You're supposed to depend on God and seek God for the things you want. And he'll show you where to sow the seed and how to believe and what to pray for and how to position yourself. And he'll open the doors and he promotes you. And the government is not supposed to be your God. Any of those, those are just scratching the surface, but you're going to become, you're going to be persecuted for those beliefs in this world and the time in which we live. 
And this is describing the person that when trials and persecution come because of the word, they go, and they let it go. They've received it with joy, but they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. These are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. They just got too many things going on and too much competing for their time and affection and the worldly and the desires and the things of the world. And when that becomes bigger than God or in front of God, it's become a God. But those then that were sown in the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept it, and bear fruit 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold. Interestingly enough, right after that is the passage of Scripture where he talks about us being a light and not putting our lamp under a basket, but being that city on the hill. Psalm 1 and 2 I mean, Psalm 1, 1 and 2, the first two verses. How many of you read the Psalms and the Proverbs every day? You know, there's uh, just enough to really fit into your schedule if you would do. I used to read, I would read, uh, we would read the proverb for the day because there's 31. And I would read five of the Psalms to Tavana while she was driving to work every day. We had her... Because she was stuck on 290 anyway. And we would read those together. We did that for a long time. Years ago. And some days you just don't feel like it. But you know. It pays off. Because these are the words of life. The bread of life. The words of life. And they will produce. But there is seed. Time. And harvest. And there were times when. The things we were believing and proclaiming over our own lives and, and those around us did not seem to be accurate, but uh, it surely did come to pass. Psalm 1, verse 1, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law, he meditates day and night. There's a lot of wisdom in there. While Christianity is not about behavior modification, there should be fruit that is visible and obvious in our lives because of the relationship we enjoy with the Lord. And over time, it should be apparent and it should be making changes in our lives. If it's not, then we need to go back and let this Bible read us and find out where we're missing things. This is talking about the company we keep and what we set before us and what we meditate on 
And it's very, very wise to keep that in mind. Remember also that some of the basic truths about Christian and the Christian life, they're all right here in the epistles after the Gospels. <clears throat> and we'd be wise to meditate on them and to build our lives around the basic and simple truths of God's Word. And when we find ourselves not doing it or saying we can't or making excuses and saying, well, God doesn't mean that literally and things like that, we need to be very careful. Because if God said it, it settles it. And there's a reason because he loves us. And if he's asked us to do something, it's really, instead of a law, it's more of an opportunity to participate in his plan. And inside of his plan is the provision for our lives. First Corinthians, the 13th chapter, we know as the love chapter. Starting at the fourth verse. Paul says, love is patient and kind. <laughs> you stop right there. We can just go right there and hang and latch on to that and say, what scripture are you standing on? Well, the first half of 1 Corinthians 13, 4. Love is patient and kind. My Father, God is love and He lives inside of me. And, and He says, this is how... My disciples will be known by the world, their love one for another. The word says, let your kindness be apparent to everyone. Well, I just found my scripture for the week. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. We can talk about that. Love never fails. Love keeps no record of wrong. Another big one. I really like Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 when, when we were trying to figure out that I built my life around the devil, basically. And so I needed to know how God wanted me to live life and conduct myself, conduct my marriage, conduct my home, conduct my business, all my affairs. So it's pretty apparent. It's all right there in the book. Colossians 3, Ephesians 5, and the Message Bible, which is fun, gets right down to the root. Colossians chapter 3, verse 18 Wives, understand and support your husbands by submitting to them in ways that honor the master. Husbands, go all out in love for your wives. 
Don't take advantage of them. Children, do what your parents tell you. This delights the master no end. Parents, don't come down too hard on your children or you'll crush their spirits. Servants, it's about our jobs. Do what you're told by your earthly masters and don't just do the minimum that'll get you by. Do your best. Work from the heart for your real master, for God. Confident that you'll get paid in full when you come into your inheritance. Keep in mind always that the ultimate master you're serving is Christ. The sullen servant who does shoddy work will be held responsible. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't cover up bad work. I love the message. Flip over mouth of one or two witnesses, every word will be established, it says in the Bible. So we go over to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. It's all about Jesus. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ, as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her. (coughs) Dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that's how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor. Since they're already one in marriage. No one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it. That's how God treats us, the church, since we are part of His body. And this is why a man leaves father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. This is a huge mystery. And I don't pretend to understand it all. What is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife. Loving himself and loving her. And how each wife is to honor her husband. Here is what Joshua said one day. Joshua 24.15 A lot of us have this hanging at our front door. And I think we all should. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's that simple. It's not easy, but there's really no discrepancy. Jesus 
loves us perfectly. He proved it in the most unimaginable way. And He and the Father gave all just to prove their love for us. And now our reasonable service is to trust Him with our lives. Those who seek their lives will lose it. But those who lose their lives for Jesus and His Word, they'll find it. The whole world's trying to find themselves. And they're never ever going to find themselves looking in the world. You have to look in here. And when we simply go to God and say, Lord, first of all, admit, I understood that word today. You might have to sit there for a half hour before you say another word. But right there is where he wants you to get to. I I guarantee you, I see him smiling right now. He's just like, yup. I understood that word and I, I want that. And Lord, I'm not there. <laughs> I'm not close. I'm mad. I'm hurt. I'm offended. I'm bitter. I'm discouraged. Uh, you know, everything in this life has shot me down. The people at work, the people at school, the people of my household. Whatever it is, maybe all of the above. Admit all that too. And then let Him lead you. Let Him guide you. Let Him heal you. He wants to heal you everywhere you hurt. But you have to start by simply saying, I know that your way is right and my way is wrong, but you have to help me get there. And let Him work with you every day. Apply His truth to your heart, to your life, to your mind especially, and to your mouth. And He will fix everything. I tell people all the time, with God, whatever part of your life that you're interested in, there's a 100% success rate with God. Well, in the church, there's a 50-50 divorce rate, just like in the world. Yep. I said with God, not with going to church. Half the people that go to church don't agree with God. More than that, really. Church attendance doesn't get you into heaven. Being a part... If I... What does it say? If I go sit in a garage, it doesn't make me a car. But if I'm a car, I should be in a garage for my protection and safety and to keep me... Same with a Christian. It doesn't make me a Christian by going to church, but it's sure the right place to be. A lot of people are offended at the church. But I want to encourage you to listen to that passage of Scripture from Mark 4 today. Go back and read it. The devil, because Jesus said, if you don't understand it, you don't understand anything about the kingdom of God. That's why I always talk about seed. Our seed money, that, that is just that is a tip of the iceberg. He knows we understand money and have trouble letting it go. That's why he uses that as an example of everything. But our 
Our time is money. Our affection is money. Our words are, are, I mean, our seeds. He said, if you don't understand this, you're not going to understand the kingdom. Anything I teach. But the devil is after this seed. He comes immediately to steal it from you. And if he can cause an offense to keep you out of church, this is the biggest one pastors preach about in big churches. People are always offended because the more people... Pastor didn't speak to me today. Or I don't like the music. Or I don't like the this. I don't like this. Or I don't like that. And that's the devil. He's trying to cause division and strife and contention. If he can do that, he steals the word. If he can keep you from getting the word, then he don't have to worry about the word bearing fruit and bringing life to your situation. He hates marriage because... It's a picture of Christ in the church. It's about that relationship that he once had with God he'll never have again. And he, It's the most powerful because agreement, when that marriage gets into a place of agreement regarding God's will and God's ways, that cord is very hard to be broken. And there's almost nothing you can't pray and agree about together that won't come to pass if it's God's Will, not if it's something demonic. <laughs> you know? Satan doesn't care about you. He wants you dead. But the way to do that is to steal the word from your heart because this is the only thing that will produce life in your heart and your life. So he comes after the word immediately. And his best way to get it from you is just to get you mad about something. He doesn't care what. But as long as he knows there's a string he can pluck, he'll wait. He might fix everything in your life. Let God have it this, 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 and this. But you're holding on to this one little thing. As long as nobody goes there. Nobody hits that radioactive cord. I'll be fine. The devil knows about that radioactive cord. And just when things are perfect, he'll pluck it. It's him. Our battle's not against flesh and blood. It's against the devil. Father, thank you so much for your love, for your word, the precious seed of your daily bread. The words of life, the truth as you proclaim it. We thank you for loving us so much, your children. And we know that you love us. And we know that you want the best for us. And we know that you've made provision. So thank you for showing us how to walk in it. Help us, Lord, in the places where we struggle. And help us to know you better and to trust you more. And to spend more time. Seeking your will and your words and your way and your help for the things in our hearts and our minds that are not of you. Help us to get in perfect alignment. Be our chiropractor. Be the chiropractor of our heart this, this week and forever, Lord. Get us straight, perfect alignment and agreement with you as we seek you and trust you with all the things of our life, knowing that nothing goes unseen. Forgiveness is not 
forgetting. Forgiveness is not saying anything's okay. Forgiveness is saying we're free. And we're giving it to our Father in Heaven who has a plan to deal with everything. And to be mindful of how much we've been forgiven. And the price that was paid to redeem us from the fiery pit that we were due. Thank you, Lord, for loving us the way you do and teaching us and growing us in Jesus' name.